Man, that's a good song. It's good to see everybody this morning. It's great to sing those songs about the God that we worship. I mean, we got to be reminded of that, and uh, these songs can, can really invigorate us and remind us why we show up to church on Sunday morning, not out of duty, but to praise God, uh, because that's who he is. That's his nature. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to just opening up the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, I want to say a word of prayer, and I want to dive right in. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, these, these songs are so powerful to, to talk about how you are the Lord God Almighty. And just to, to sing these praises to you, to, to exalt your name, to remember that uh, your spirit is among us and dwells within us, and that we can listen to the spirit's guidance and not be left wandering aimlessly in this life. And we don't have to be in despair as we live in this life, as we suffer and go through challenges and some things don't turn out the way we want, we can still look to you as the way maker. And we believe it. And when we come together in these settings, God, it feels so helpful to have other people that we can call brother and sister who believe the same things and we can reinforce each other, encourage each other to keep on pushing through, even when life can get a little challenging. And so Lord, I just pray this morning that we can be open to what you may be saying to us through your word, and I pray that we can get a clear understanding of your kingdom and, and a desire to do your will as we live on this earth and not do the will of the enemy who is always consistently trying to get us to not live our lives under the reign and rule of Jesus. Help us to not be dumb sheep that don't realize what's really going on and help us not to act like we haven't been told what's really going on and give us the courage to live out the convictions that we do have. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So we are just started a new series last week. We are going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're we are excited about doing that. And the series is called In Atlanta As It Is In Heaven. As we take that from Jesus' own words, right? And uh, obviously he didn't say Atlanta, but you know. We got to incorporate it to our daily life. And Jordan last week, he, he, he gave us a message about the kingdom, and I'm kind of doing kind of like a part two on the kingdom. And, and the clear point that was made, and I hope you understand this, is very, very true, is that of all the messages and themes of, of Scripture, and there are many, when Jesus was recorded in the Gospels, what was his central theme? It was God's kingdom. Over and over again, the reign of God, the rule of God, the kingdom of God, that was the central theme of Jesus' teaching. But the reality is, is that what we, 2,000 years later, sometimes we don't grasp is, you know, there is another kingdom always at work. And we can over-spiritualize sometimes in the Bible and, and have this ultra-spiritual mindset, but sometimes we forget the, just the bare reality that Jesus himself, as a human, lived under another kingdom, the Roman Empire, the Roman kingdom. And if you open up the Old Testament, you'll see that there's an 
Egyptian kingdom and a Babylonian kingdom and an Assyrian kingdom. And there are many kingdoms of this earth. And their views are not the same as God's. Pharaoh's will was not the same as God's will. And that story it plays itself out over and over and over again. And so in the New Testament, it's really no different. And I think to, with this morning, I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive even into the concept of an earthly kingdom so we can appreciate God's kingdom a little bit more. But what you got to realize is when it comes to kingdoms, there is a clash of kingdoms, all right? These kingdoms are going to clash. The kingdoms of the earth by nature are going to clash against God's kingdom, all right? And uh, one of my textbooks in school, we, we had to read a book about the Roman Empire, and I would actually encourage you, if you're that type of person that likes studying stuff, this isn't a very long book, and it's not overly scholarly, you know what I'm saying? So it's accessible. But it gives you a really good kind of overview of the Roman Empire. I think it's a good one, in my opinion, if you're into stuff like that. But this is, this is on page one. <laughs> Even when the New Testament texts seem to us, all right, to us, he emphasizes that, to be silent about Roman's empire, it is nevertheless ever-present. The Roman Empire provides the ever-present political, economic, societal, and religious framework and context for the New Testament's claims, language, structures, personnel, and scenes. In other words, every New Testament page is dripping with what happens in the Roman Empire. These writers are de defining, they're, they're trying to negotiate how to live under an earthly empire. That's what they're trying to do. And not only are they trying to teach the followers of Jesus how to navigate and negotiate the kingdom, sometimes they flat out critique the kingdom of Rome, the earthly kingdom. But you kind of have to be looking for it. Because trust me, if they just openly did it, sometimes they get beat down pretty hard. So they had to find ways to kind of critique the kingdom of the earth of Rome. And this is something that's hard for us to understand and if you're new to the Bible, you can go, oh, this, see, this is when all, I don't believe in all this devil and all that, but you better or you're in trouble. All right. You got to remember this part of the scripture. Jesus was tempted. And it clearly states that the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Kingdoms of the world. And their glory. You know, he said to him, Jesus all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is in Matthew and Luke, right? The kingdoms of the world. And so what we have to realize is that these gospel writers are giving you a clear portrayal of what's really at work. They're trying to pull back the veneer a little bit and help you see what's going on, right? It's not just Jesus preaching sermons and people getting upset with him. There's something deeper at work. That there is an enemy to us all the accuser, the Satan, devil. And he does have sway over earthly kingdoms. And sometimes we kind of think, oh, there's a bad actor over there in this country over here. It's just an isolated incident. He's just a bad person. And I think you, you got to read your Bible, okay? There's, there's another element that ne you need to realize, that there is an evil that is behind the evil <laughs> that you see. Okay? And the devil is opposed to God's purposes. And that's why he tempts Jesus to do his own work instead of God's work. So the devil, in, this, in these moments, you got to see the devil is the one that's controlling these world empires. And, the, and Rome, what they're trying to get at in, in their day and age is Rome is in the devil's hands. 
And Rome is, is totally against God's kingdom. And we have to contrast this, right, with what Jesus was talking about. Because Jesus, when he went around, he was clearly preaching another message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that was in Matthew 4, verse 17. I don't know if the slide is working or not. I'm not sure. Or maybe it didn't make it. In, Ma in Mark chapter 1, it says, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. So these moments in Scripture are clear that Jesus came preaching about the kingdom of God or the heavens. Now, here's the problem. When you say kingdom of heaven, and when we read kingdom of heaven, our, our thought about heaven is it's always this faraway place. And we got to replace that definition. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, because we immediately, we think of heaven, we think, oh, yeah, that, that's that faraway place. That's the place we go after we live a really nice life, and we get to live the rest of our life in, in, in the heaven. Oh, he's talking about the kingdom that's far away, that we'll get there when we die. That's absolutely not what he's talking about. Think more like, and Dallas Willard does a great job of explaining this, but think more, he's, the concept is the kingdom of like the atmosphere around you. Right? You can't see the air you breathe, but the oxygen you, there, there's, an, there's this element of life around us that it's, it's available to us. It's, the, it's a voice came from heaven. It didn't just come from a faraway place and you couldn't hear it. No, it was there. It was, it was, you could hear it because it was present. And so that's what the, the concept here is. It's not this place you go after you die. It's the here and the now. And you got to understand that if you're going to get what Jesus is talking about, about the kingdom of heaven. So you've got the devil kind of behind the, the earthly kingdoms and trying to give Jesus, hey, I'll give you sway over these earthly kingdoms. Jesus is like, man, I'm not into all that. I got something way bigger. And Jesus is preaching about God's kingdom. But what about Rome, guys? What about Rome? And this is one of the things that I think is helpful for you to understand about the kingdom of Rome. What kind of empire was it? There's three things I think that are helpful for you to understand about the Roman Empire. First of all, it's, it was aristocratic. In other words, the elite people ran it. Two to three percent of the population pretty much ran the entire Roman Empire. Okay, two to three percent. And the rest of the empire lived barely at subsistence level. Okay, and that's the way it worked, all right? It was an agrarian society. In other words, wealth and power really was based so much in land. It really was. And the elite, they didn't rule by democratic elections. It was hereditary. It was getting the right relationships. They controlled the land. They controlled the labor. And they extracted the wealth from the non-elites. And so the, the funnel is going from the, from the poor. They're just getting taxed. They're getting beat down. They're getting oppressed. And the money's flowing up to the elite. And that's how they maintained the empire. And it was also, as you can obviously tell, <laughs> a legionary uh, kingdom. In other words, they're going to coerce you to do what they want you to do. And the main way was through the army, the Roman army. That was the main way they kept their land, they got new lands, and they kept people in check. But they also controlled the communication. They were masterful at their own version of social media with buildings and monuments and coins, and they just put it in your face. 
everywhere you went. Rome is in control. You are a subject of Rome. Rome is who you work for. Rome owns your life. And that is how they kept the status quo going. This is the nature of the Roman kingdom, a kingdom of the earth led by a few at the expense of the, of the many. And that's how it's set up. Okay, and at the top of this whole thing, oh yeah, you know who is, who's running things, right? The emperor. He's the big dog. The emperor. And what's, what's he all about? Power. I mean, simple power. He's at the top of the whole thing. He's running the show. And these are, there are two words that often are used to describe the types of power that the emperor held. And one of these words is called imperium. In other words, it's, it's his military power, right? He would use that, and he would also use his administrative power. Obviously, the military is kind of easy, but think tax collector, right? That's his civic power, all right? So he will send out the tax collector to get the money from the people, get the land. Get, and often it wasn't even coins. It was stuff, too, right? And, and think also a census, these are the types of things that you read about in the New Testament. This is the emperor flexing his muscles. I'm going to figure out how many people we got so I can know how much stuff I'm going to take from them because it's mine it comes back up to me. And it's his imperium, his ability to, to, to flex his military muscle, right, to flex his administrative muscle to do the will of the emperor. And the other is obviously his auctoritas is another, a word that is used. And this, kinda, this is kind of his kind of personality, the influence he has, right? The, the gravitas and also his morality, all right? And some of these, it, it's interesting because some of these emperors would pass laws against bribery and things like that because they wanted to show the virtue of Rome. We, of course, are civilized people. And so it was his auctoritas, it was his morality, his personality, his influence to get the right relationships to do what needs to be done. So he's got this aspect of who he is, and he's also got that military and those tax collectors, and he's just running the show. That's how empires work of the world. That's how kingdoms of the world work. Here's the problem for you and me. I'm going to give you, you know, the, the, the warning I'll give to you is this. I hope that after we read all these, at some point, we're going to go through all these seasons of Jesus. At some point, I hope you get uncomfortable. At some point. Because our problem is we really get tricked. And we think that the United States of America is equivalent to the kingdom of God. And, 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 and the thing is, is that we scoff and we laugh, but that's how we kind of operate. There's kind of like this American exceptionalism. There's this, you know, this, this creation story, our origin story of our country, and it's so Christian and all that. And especially in this part of the United States of America, let's be honest, it can get kind of strong. Where there's an equivalency almost to the, the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about is equivalent to the United States of America. And, and, and don't dare say something that would even make it sound like the United States of America is anything like what I just described in Rome. Oh, there you are, Jeff. You up there woke. See how you are? You one of them woke preachers. And you up there just, you know, progressive this. And you know, no, that's not what I'm saying. No. <laughs> so let's not, let's not go there. All right. Let's not go there. Well, why don't you leave the country if you don't think it's so great? Why don't you go to some of these other countries where... No, 
That's immature argument. Let's not go there either. Let's be adults with open Bibles. Adults with open Bibles. So, so let's not do all this sling in the mud and all this stuff. I'm trying to, you know, trash the United States. No, I don't want to live anywhere else. Because I do think there are a lot of great things about this country. And I do think a lot of people have made decisions on this country based on their Christian beliefs. I absolutely believe that. But please, please don't fall for the trap that the United States is equivalent to the kingdom of God. It's just not. And so I hope that at some point during this whole series, you hear one of Jesus' teachings and it really bothers you. Because it challenges the way you view the world now. And it might even challenge how you live your life and the choices that you make right now. Wrestle you must, as Yoda might say. You know what I mean? <laughs> I hope you wrestle with the, with the scriptures. Wrestle with it. Jesus was killed by the Roman Empire. <laughs> Think about it. He was killed by the empire because what, he, what was coming out of his mouth was not in, appreciated by the emperor. Okay? And I'm telling you, we are closer to a, take a globe. <laughs> Remember those? I know you don't have globes anymore. <laughs> take a globe, spin it around, wherever your finger stops, whatever it lands, that is an earthly kingdom. It is not the kingdom of God. Okay? So, wherever you live, I hope Jesus' teachings can maybe cause you to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. If that's true, then I might have to, yeah. Now we're getting at it. Because I think some of us are so comfortable in our faith that it's like, man, and even when you get challenged, you get all mad. Like, what is up? Dude, we're following Jesus, man. He made a lot of people mad. All right? So we're going to look at, I'm gonna, this is going to be the way we're going to roll for the rest of the sermon. All right? I'm going to read just a couple passages, and I'm trying to show you that these gospel writers aren't just telling you a story. They're also critiquing the, the Roman Empire. They're critiquing what a kingdom of the earth is like and what it's like to live under the kingdom of the earth. So we're going to look at a couple of these passages, and then, and then we'll kind of end on some practicals and take the Lord's Supper. Amen? All right, so Mark 5. I'm actually going to read from the actual page of the Bible, so you just have to follow along. <clears throat> Mark 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is what? Legion. There is no way on God's earth that this is not a critique of what happens when you are under 
whoever has the legion. Who runs the legion? The emperor, the empire. That is how the empire works. So this guy is what it's like when you live under legion. This is what it's like to live under the kingdom of the earth. It's, it, what, what is it characterized by? It's characterized by death. It's characterized by self-destruction. It's, it's just characterized by despair and evil, right? That is what life is like under the legion. A lack of control, but an unshackled power too. Like there's some, whoa, it's, it's scary. It's a scary power, right? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Right? I mean, many of you have read this story, but, you know, he t- he, Jesus casts Legion out of the man, right? Casts out of the man and sends him into the pigs. This is a statement about what happens when a kingdom of the earth clashes with Jesus. Jesus brings a different kingdom into the mix. And when Jesus comes onto the scene, you get somebody who can be at peace. Not the Roman peace, because the Roman peace, you know what you need in order to get the Roman peace? The Pax Romana, you know what you need? You need to kill a lot of people. You need an army. That's how you get the peace. That's earthly kingdoms. That's how they work. (laughs) They kill you and they take your, or they give you the chance to surrender, but it's theirs. But that's how it works. But then Jesus comes, he casts out the legion. He gets rid of the kingdoms of this earth and the evil behind them. And then the Bible says that in verse 15, right, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. <laughs> Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What? He just helped this guy out? What in the world? That's how the kingdoms of the earth work, man. It's just upside down. It's crazy. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him. You know, he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much, how he had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell him to the capitalists how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Why does, why does, he, why does he record this? Jesus says, tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. Because we already know what the, 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 the kingdom of the earth has done for you. We already saw what your life looked like with the kingdom of the earth. We already know when legions run in your life what it's going to look like. Now you need to tell people, what is it like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus? This is what kingdom is. It's not an abstract thought. This is what Jesus does to our lives. He comes into our chaos and our self-destructiveness. And when we've been under the reign and rule of an empire of this earth, and what happens when we give, when Jesus takes over our lives, dressed in our right mind, wanting to be with Jesus and willing to tell the whole world how much he's done? That's what happens when the kingdoms clash. That's what the gospel writers are writing about as well. Pull back the layer. There's so much more going on. We'll look at Luke as well. Still got some time. All right. Luke 5. Fired up. 
All right, Luke 5. Remember, you got the kingdom, the, the, the empire has his military arm, right? His civic arm and all that. And he's also got that, that morality aspect too, right? So he's got that. So what about his morality? What does the morality of the emperor do for you? Okay, when you're under, when you're under him. And that's why Luke 5 and Luke 19 are two great examples of people that are underneath the emperor and their morality, right? And in Luke 5, verse 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax collecting station. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So this quick story is, is not just a story about a guy getting converted. Yes, that's in there. But also what you need to see, this is an emissary of the emperor. He, has, uh, he is an arm of the emperor's power. And you know what kind of guy he is? He's wealthy. <laughs> and that's why he keeps saying, you know, he's rich, right? He's got his own house and he gives a great banquet for a lot of people. You don't do that if you ain't got no money. Where'd the money come from? It came from extracting the money for the emperor from the poor. That's how kingdom of earth works. This guy, that's who he was. He got a lot of personal money off of it. But he gets into contact with Jesus. He decides to give a banquet for Jesus and then invite a bunch of other people. Whoa, he's becoming more generous. He's not just extracting from people. He's actually giving to someone other than himself. And then the Jews are like, hey, well, he, he's not righteous. Because, you know, there's always going to be that, you know, the religious types, right? He's not following the, the customs of the Jews, and that's what you need to do to prove you're righteous. No, 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 let me help you out. It's not about the customs of the Jews right now, nor is it about what, doing the emperor's bidding, the kingdom of the earth. It's about the rule and reign of Jesus. And Jesus says, when I come, I heal people of all their greed. I heal people from the problems that they get from living under the kingdom's thumb of this earth. I help people repent and change. Right? And the same as Luke 19, don't have time at this point, but we are very familiar, if we have been around the scriptures anyway, about the story of Zacchaeus once again. But the difference between Levi and Zacchaeus, Levi is a tax collector, Zacchaeus is what? A chief tax collector. So he, that, that's, that's in Luke 19, he's the chief. So he's big dog, right? Big wallet, okay? And he can't even get to see Jesus, not only because he's short, because probably some people aren't letting him see Jesus, probably. But he can't get in to see Jesus, so he climbs up a tree, and what happens? Jesus says, hey, you know, I want to have fellowship with you at your house. And the kingdom that Jesus embodied in himself interacts with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus immediately does something crazy. He starts saying, I you know what, whatever I've stolen from people, I'll repay it with interest. What? Why are these stories in the Bible? Because they're just showing you how Jesus converts people. Yeah, but there's also telling you that no matter how much the kingdom of the earth that you can be working for it, you're going to still be greedy. You're still going to be extracting from the few to get, fill your own pockets. And there's nothing that the emperor can do to change that. 
The emperor could not change the morality of Levi, couldn't change the morality of Zacchaeus. But guess who can? Jesus. That's what happens when the kingdom of God comes into contact with the kingdom of this world. The emperor can have all the power in the world, but he can't change Zacchaeus' heart. Zacchaeus just got more and more corrupt. And these are the things that happen when the kingdom of God clashes with the kingdoms of this earth. Almost done. Oh, let's go back one. Man, somehow that one got lost. All right, I'm going to read a quote from Dallas Willard. The souls of human beings are left to shrivel and die on the plains of life because they are not introduced into the environment for which they were made, the living kingdom of eternal life. You see that visual? That we are meant to live in God's kingdom. We're spiritual beings, right? Having a physical existence more than the other way around. And we're made for the kingdom of God. But so many of us think it's, oh, it's after I die or it's, it's far away. I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of religious mumbo jumbo. I just try to do the best I can. And if I just do good enough, you know, I mean, and we kind of create these ways of living that kind of box out life in the kingdom of God as if it's not available to us until after we die because we're saved and we go to heaven and then we have a great life. So I, I, I want to help you realize that's not the way it works. As Jordan talked about last week, and I'm trying to reinforce this week, to live under the rule and reign of Jesus is available to you right now. Right now. Right now. No matter where you live, under what earthly kingdom you may be living in, the kingdom to live kingdom life living is available right here, right now. And I have had to, I wrestle with this. I'm only going to share with you my own personal, where I am right now in this moment of my walk after 20-something years or whatever. But this is how I appropriate the kingdom living for my life. And, and it started in July. We were going to Trinidad for our, you know, a, a mission trip. Lynn threw out a, a text on the group me, hey, I think it'd be cool if all of us just held on to something while we, you know, a, a scripture or whatever that you can kind of just really focus in on so that when you're in Trinidad, you can really kind of use it because, you know, it can get crazy on these trips. I mean, we're going a lot. We're moving and grooving. And I took that to heart. I said, man, I, I want to do that. So I took some time, kind of meditated. And, and for whatever reason, I said, you know, I need to start with Jesus. Duh, right? But what does that mean? I said, well, I want to, when I go to Trinidad, I want to I see them the way Jesus would see them. I want to walk like Jesus would walk. I just want to treat people like I think Jesus would treat people. In my conversation, I want to speak as though I'm speaking like Jesus would speak. I mean, these are the kind of things that I, gee, I got to start with Jesus. And then I thought, man, the one thing that I appreciate about Jesus, he emptied himself and made himself nothing, Philippians 2. What would that look like if I, every day before I got out of the bed, I, I made the conscious decision to empty myself of myself, all myself, just empty it, just like pouring water right now, pour it out. Empty myself and become nothing and take the nature of a servant and serve these people. And, and, and actually consider it a, a joy and a privilege, right? I, I want to do, I want to empty myself and serve. And if I empty myself of myself, I want to be filled with God's Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. And so I would, I would just repeat love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness or generosity, depending on the translation, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I would just repeat however many times I felt like I needed to that particular morning. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to be filled with, with that. I need to yield. I need to empty myself of myself, yield to the Spirit so he can bear his fruit. So the fruit of Jesus can be, so I'm walking around, Jeff's body's walking around, but if somebody, wow, there's patience. Wow, the, I see, I see self-control. And it's not about me because I emptied myself. I'm filled with the Spirit. And then I thought, well, you know, because the days can be long. And I'm like, well, it's easy to do that when you're having your quiet time. And the, but what about at like 6.43 in the afternoon, right, in the evening? And I thought, man, I, I need to remain in the true vine all day long, all day and all night. I got to remain, remain. And I kept thinking, Jesus said, you got to remain in the vine. Remember Jesus said, he said, you know, apart from the Father, Jesus said, I can do nothing. I thought, man, that's how I want to be. And Jesus even told his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. I said, man, I, 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 I got I to think that way all throughout the day. Because I know I'm, I'm going to be tempted to be like, I'm tired of y'all. I got to go, I got to go by myself or something, right? But I got to remain. And there's nothing wrong with getting by myself, but I got to remain in the vine if I do that. And then the last thing I, I kept thinking was this. I want to immerse myself in every moment fully, every moment, every conversation. I want, to, I want to be in the conversation. I want to be receiving whatever, immerse myself. And then I thought of another word that started with I, kind of like the incarnation, right? God came as a, as a human and lived among us. He took on flesh, the incarnation. I was like, man, it starts with an I too, right? Immerse, incarnation. And then I thought, Imago Dei, the image of God. See everybody in the, as the image of God. Yeah, they're from a different country. This is different. But everybody is in God's image. And, 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 and you see them as God's image, but bring God's image to whatever situation you're in, Jeff. Because God's image can change the chaos of this world. And to me, that was J-E-F-R-I kind of like Jeffrey in a way, right? So, and to me, I go, okay, my mom gave me birth and named me Jeffrey. But the birth from above to be the Jeffrey of the spirit, this is who I got to be every day. And I've been, I've, I've probably missed a handful of days since July, but I'm telling you, this is how I make the kingdom real. For me, I'm trying not to leave my house without thinking of Jesus and emptying being filled and remain and immerse, incarnate, imago day every day of my life. That to me is how I appropriate what it means to live under the reign of Jesus and not just being somebody out here just living for themselves or living under the kingdom of this earth. And to me, that's what Jesus is getting at. And to me, I think that's what Zacchaeus tasted. And that's what that demoniac tasted too, is to be dressed in your right mind and to have the true peace that only Jesus can offer us. And uh, I'm going to say a prayer, and hopefully we can be reminded of how amazing Jesus is as we take the Lord's Supper. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come to this moment and realize that you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, and you have 
ushered us into the kingdom of the son that you love, where we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. We are grateful for Jesus, his teachings. We are grateful that he did bring the kingdom to us. And I pray that we can desire to do your will and not just our own, Lord. And I pray that we take this body, this bread that represents Jesus' body, we take the juice that represents his blood, and we remember Jesus, his life, his teachings, his resurrection, and the fact that when he comes back, he will actually consummate his kingdom, and we can live eternity with you. Pray in his name. Amen.